1 Samuel chapter 26. Now the Zephites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Isn't David hiding on the hill of Hashilah, which faces Jessamine? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph. Ziph. 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul camped in the hill of Hashilah, which faces Jessamine by the road. But David was staying in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul had come after him into the wilderness. So David sent out spies and realized that Saul had already arrived. Then David got up and went to the place where Saul had camped. David detected the spot where Saul lay asleep, as well as Abner, the son of Ner, his, uh, his army commander. Saul was lying inside the, bar the barricade, and the troops were camped around him. Then David spoke and asked uh, Ahimelech, the, the Hittite, and Joab's brother, Abishite, son of saying, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? I will go down with you, Abishai answered. So David and Abishai approached the troops by night. Behold, Saul was lying, lying asleep within the barricade with his spear stuck in the ground and at his head. And Abner and the troops were sleeping around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand today. Now let me pin him down to the ground with a single thrust of the spear. I will not have to strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, don't. Don't destroy him, for who, who can lay his hand on Adonai's anointed and, and be guiltless? David added, as Adonai lives, either Adonai, Adonai will strike him down or his day will come to die. Uh, or he will go down to battle and be swept away. Adonai forbid that I should lay my hand on Adonai's uh, anointed. Now just take the spear that is at his head and the water jar and let's go. So David took the spear and the water jar from beside Saul's head. They got away, and no one saw it or knew it or, or woke up, for all were asleep, for a, for a deep sleep from Adonai has, had fallen upon them. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on the top of the distant hill with a wide space between them. David shouted to the troops and to Abner, son of Ner, saying, Aren't you going to answer, Abner? When Abner then Abner answered, saying, Who are you? Who called out to the king? Aren't you a man? David said to Abner. Indeed, indeed, who is like you in Israel? So why didn't you guard your lord, the king? For one of the troops came in to kill the king, your lord. This thing that you've done is no good. As Adonai lives, all of you deserve to die, because you have not kept watching over your lord. Adonai is anointed. So now look around. Where are the king's spear and the water jar that were at his head? Saul then recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, David, my son? It is my voice, my lord, the king, David said. Then added, Yet why is my Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? What evil is in my hand? Now please, let my Lord the king listen to the words of his servant. If Adonai has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if men have done so, then cursed are they before Adonai, because they have now driven me out, that I would not cling to Adonai's inheritance, saying, Go worship other gods. So now, let, let not my blood fall to the ground, away from the presence of Adonai. For the king of Israel has come out to search for but a single flea, just as one hunts for a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul replied, I have sinned. Return, David, my son, for I will no longer do you harm, since my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I've played the fool and erred so seriously. David then answered and said, There is the king's spear. Let one of the young men cross over and take it. Adonai will repay everyone his righteousness and his faithfulness. For Adonai give you into my hand today, but I refuse to lay my hand on Adonai's anointed. See, just as your life was highly valued in my eyes today, so let my life be highly valued in Adonai's eyes, and may he deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, Blessed are you, David, my son. You will both do mightily and will surely prevail. 
So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Last week, um, we were talking about 1 Samuel 25. So if you guys remember, that was the story of Abigail and David. And David, just in the previous chapter, had refused to kill Saul. So he did really, really well in that particular instance. And then just like a little bit later, he's raging mad. He just kind of loses it, like, and stuff hits the fan, and he's like, I'm going to kill the ball. I'm going to wipe them all out because he is just so angry that he's been offended um, and insulted by Nabal. And Abigail steps in an intercession and prevents David from committing a pretty grievous sin. So um, in, in that context, we saw, you know, that, that David did really well in, in one circumstance, but like we are called, 1 Corinthians uh, tells us to take heed lest we fall. Like if we think we stand, we want to take heed lest we fall because um, saying yes to the Lord or doing well in one season of our life does not guarantee that we'll do well in the subsequent situations because we always have to be bringing our heart before the Lord and being like, God, like, is there anything in me that I've, you know, allowed something to grow where it shouldn't have? I've allowed bitterness or anger to creep in and take root in my heart. Um, and uh, then we talked about as well how the, you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, like he tells us, hey, you know, if you get insulted, like actually turn the other cheek or if your enemy forces you to go one mile, go two. Like he calls us to walk in the opposite spirit of that anger or bitterness or offense, because that's actually that action of us blessing the people that are wronging us is what's necessary for us to keep our hearts free in that context and in that situation, it's not enough for us to just try to avoid bitterness or evil. Like we actually have to bless them so that our hearts are in a good place before God. Um, and that's because there's such a strong pull. We kind of gave the analogy of like a current inside of us, but also around us that it's not something that we get to just kind of passively be, be stagnant in or just be like, well, you know, I'm just kind of chilling. Like, but sin is something that we always have to make war on because the, the pull of our inside and the pull of the culture around us is so strong in pulling us away from God. Like you actually have to fight to go in the other direction. Um, so in light of that, like, so we saw, you know, over the last two weeks, we saw 1 Samuel 24, where, where David cuts the hem of Saul's garment, and then he actually, like, is grieved that he did that. Like, he repents over that. And then we see the incident with Nabal and Abigail. And now what Vic just read for us in 1 Samuel 26, David has an opportunity to kill Saul again. And he... His Saul's entire army, it says, asleep from the Lord. Like God like caused them to be in a deep, deep sleep. And the people that should have been guarding and protecting Saul's life from David and from others were asleep. And so David could have come in and Abishai, this guy who's like, like, I, I like God bless like Abishai, because he's like, you know, David goes to two people and he's like, All right, who's going down with me into to Saul's camp? And Abishai's like, I will. And then they get to Saul and he's like, just give me your spear. I can kill him in one go. Like, just, just give it, you know, like, let me, let me do this. Like I can get him in one go. Like he's an intense dude. And David's like, no, 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 no. Like he must've been feeling some interesting feels in that moment. But we see here that David 
Like now, like he responds well, poorly, and now we see the fruit of repentance in David's life. That the incident previously with Abigail and Nabal, like David learned something so important because David was about to take vengeance into his own hands and Abigail stopped him and said, no, like you better let God execute justice for you. And David did. And the Lord struck Nabal down. So it's interesting that in this chapter, you see that David's like, when Abishai is like, I'm going to get him in one go, like one thrust, like he's done. And David's like, no, like I'm, I'm not going to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed, like either he's going to die in battle or he's going to die of natural causes or God's going to strike him down. Kind of like the Lord did to Nabal. Like David understands now God's principles of justice and vengeance. And he's like, Nope, I almost did that last week. I'm not going back into this. Like I'm not going back down into this pit again. Like I'm not going to take vengeance into my own hands. And what I want us to kind of see here is that like the, the grace that, that, um, God gave to David, like David humbled himself in 1 Samuel 25 with Abigail. Like he actually humbled himself and we know that he had a true change of heart because we see the fruit of that now when he's put into a different situation. Um, and so Romans talks, it says um, that we rejoice in suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. But what I want to add to that is that trials do not necessarily equal character, right? Because you meet any random person on the street, you hear their life story and you're like, oh my gosh, you've been through some trials, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that the character or the nature of Christ is formed in them. Um, and so that's something for us to, to keep in mind, you know, even in whatever current trial you're in, like just because you're in a trial doesn't mean you're going to come out more righteous or more holy on the other end of it. Like it could make or break us, you know, and they often do. But the, the key is that we yield to and we humble ourselves and submit to God in the process, like that there's a response to the Lord that has to happen. Um, and it has to happen not once, but again and again and again. And David's yes, like his humbling himself to the Lord in this situation with Nabal actually carried over and gave him grace in this next season to not kill Saul again, like when he was presented with the opportunity. And think about it, like if David had just let his anger or bitterness like fester and go unchecked in his heart, he probably would have killed Saul. Like he would have killed Nabal and Saul. Like it would have just gotten worse. It would have only progressed. Like it would have only snowballed from there, but he didn't. He humbled himself and he let the Lord intervene. And he was like, all right, God, like, I'm so sorry. Like I'm going to choose your ways. And it gave him grace in this next season. I, how, has, does anyone else like weightlifting? Anybody kind of sort of, I love it. I really enjoy weightlifting. And, but it's interesting because I'll go through seasons where I like lift a little bit and then I'll like go through seasons where I don't lift at all. And when you get back into it, when you try like just a little bit of weight, if you haven't been working out in a while, it feels really heavy, right? Like it feels like, you know, 10 pounds that maybe you could have done something in the past with 40 pounds and you do it with 10 and it's like, oh, this is hard. But the same is like, then you start doing it for a while and all of a sudden you're adding more and more weight and it feels easier and easier. And you're like, oh, I can, I can go more, you know, I can go heavier. I could do more. And you build those muscles 
the same thing is true when we give our yes to the Lord in different trials. And I remember like there, I remember seasons of, of my life, even just in ministry and experiencing some situations of like betrayal or just church drama and hurt and things like that. And I remember the kind of like one of the first times I went through it, I was just so distraught and like disheartened. And Priscilla just kind of looked at me and she's like, yeah, it'll get easier the next time. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what do you mean? But there's muscles that we have to stretch on the inside of like refusing bitterness and walking in the Sermon on the Mount and blessing our enemies and like, and it does like she, and I remember like years later, I was like, wow, you were right. Like, I was so shocked that like when we exercise those muscles of saying yes to God, like it actually matters. And the things that like felt hard and heavy at first the more we do it, the more consistently we practice it, the easier it actually becomes in the future. And so my, you know, kind of a side tangent encouragement is that like, you know, we see persecution all over the world. We don't see it as much here yet, but we know it's coming. And like there's muscles of forgiveness and like blessing and praying for people that maybe they're not even wronging you. Maybe they just rub you the wrong way and they didn't do anything to you. <laughs> like maybe your personalities just clash, right? Um, but we want to stretch those muscles now so that when we have to bear a heavier load, like we can bear it well. So, um, I, I want to look as well at David's response versus Saul's response, because there's, it's so interesting. Um, both, if you look at like David and Saul's lives, like, we see them respond to the Lord in very different ways. And, you know, Joseph's always like, yeah, like it's easy for us to relate to David and be like, oh, I'm David. I'm a man after God's heart. Or I'm a woman after God's heart. But none of us are like, oh, yeah, I'm actually really kind of more like Saul in this moment. Like we don't as readily admit that we can relate in some ways to Saul. But I want to point out a few things about Saul that should be kind of like red flags for us to watch for in our own heart and mind and the way we process things before the Lord, because we see in their stories where those things ultimately lead when they're fully matured in their lives. Um, and so both David and Saul get confronted with their own sin on like multiple occasions. God is like very much in the business of confronting us on sin. Like that's one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit. Like that's something that he will use like the Abigails and the friends and pastors and leaders like around and over us to be like, hey, like I love you, but let me speak a little truth into your life here. Um, or, you know, he's so good at putting us in situations where he's like, oh, you're not very patient. Like, let me put you in this like situation and let me grow that in you. Um, but, but we see with both David and Saul, they're confronted on multiple occasions. We see Jonathan confront his, his father, Saul, right? We see David confront Saul. We see the Holy Spirit confront Saul. Um, and, and, you know, likewise, David in, on multiple occasions is confronted by others with his sin. Abigail confronts him. Uh, Nathan, the prophet, confronts him, right? And a lot of times, like when we think about repentance, you know, the, if you think about the life of David and repentance, like most of us, our brains automatically go to the story of David and Bathsheba. And we're like, oh yeah, like we see Psalm 51, there's when David repented of this like horrible thing he did. 
But I want to point it out in, in these situations, too, because I think this is actually in some ways a, a stronger example of how they carried their heart on a regular basis before the Lord um, and what differences there were between David and Saul. Because Saul, if, if you remember, you know, in 1 Samuel 24, David confronts Saul and he's like, Saul, like, like, look at, like, I could have killed you in this cave while you're doing your business. And Saul actually weeps. Like, or when Jonathan confronts Saul a little earlier on in 1 Samuel, Saul's like, yeah, you're right. Like, I won't kill him. Like, Saul makes a lot of promises, and he has a lot of emotional theatrics. Like, he's got a lot of things that between his words or his tears, like, a lot of us would look at that and be like, yeah, I think Saul really repented. But he didn't. Like, that's the scary thing is that he, he said his sin was sin. He knew it was sin, and he apologized, he cried, but he didn't actually repent. Like, that's a terrifying thing, because, like, if Saul had repented, what that would have looked like for him is that he would have stopped trying to kill David. But you see, instance after instance, even when Saul knows what's sin in his head, like, he doesn't actually change course, and that's the scary thing, but that's what I want to, that's why I want to, like, dive a little deeper into this today and look at what is the difference between Saul and David, and there's three issues that, um, that I want to highlight um, here in, in looking at how they dealt with sin in their life or didn't deal with it, and so um, kind of differentiating, well, what is, you know, what is just an emotional response when we're confronted with sin or what does true repentance look like? And so there's three areas we see that in. And one, the first thing is, did they hate their sin or did they justify the compromise? Um, and the second issue is, did they fear God or man? And the third is, were their actions consistent with repentance? Um, and so let's talk a little bit about the first one. So, um, did they, um, did they hate sin or justify compromise? If you guys remember the story um, initially where Saul had the kingdom stripped from him, he, uh, he, why did he have it stripped from him? With, do you guys remember the story with the Amalekites? Like, what was Saul's sin that, that Samuel had to go and be like, nope, dude, you lost it, it's done. He didn't obey, like, but the way he didn't obey was that he obeyed 75% of the way, but then he didn't, that other 25%, and he left some of the animals and the king of the Amalekites alive for his own benefit, and he's like, oh, no, I'm going to sacrifice them to God. Like, he, he put religious language on it, and he made it sound like he was doing a spiritual good thing, but he really wasn't. He was just being disobedient to God, and it's amazing because if you remember that story, like, Saul compromised just a little bit like he actually did mostly what was what he was called to do but he didn't do it fully and he disobeyed God and but he justified it like he justified it and in his mind it really wasn't a big deal but David like you see on the other hand when David sins just a little bit he cuts off just the hem of Saul's garment and he's so grieved on the inside. He is like wrecked over the fact that he did that. Like little compromises and little sins meant a lot to David. He understood that they were a big deal. Because when we have a little compromise, that never stays little. Like it only grows into a big thing. And 
I love it. You know, last this week, um, Priscilla and I were talking to some believers that are actually older than us in the faith and, and arguably in, in many ways more mature. Um, but they were like presenting this situation to us that they were in. And it was like so clear from like everything that they said that they were like definitely in the right, right? Somebody else had wronged them. And it was very clear that like these people had not done anything wrong, but their hearts were so humble because they were asking us, they're like, if you see like just even a little bit, like even a little thing that we're off in, like that we're sinning in, like, please tell us, like, please tell us. And I love that heart of humility and that like when you love the Lord, you're not like trying to get away with the bare minimum. You're like, man, like God, if there's just a little bit of sin in me, even if that guy is like 90% wrong and I'm 10% wrong, like the saint is not concerned with the 90% of whatever Saul is doing. Like you're not responsible for Saul's heart. You're responsible for your heart. And when we love God, that 10% like means a lot to us. So, so we want to, you know, see things like when we justify little compromises, that should be a red flag to us that that is a Saulish sort of thing. Um, and we want to be like David and, and hate sin, even if it's small. Second um, issue of kind of where they diverge is did they fear God or man? Um, same story, you know, when Saul disobeyed, he didn't kill all the sheep. He, you know, offered a sacrifice because he wasn't willing to wait for Samuel. He did that partially because he was afraid he was losing all his army. Like, he's like, the people are leaving me. Like, I got to take things into my own hands because he was so concerned with what people thought or did. Um, and likewise, even after Samuel came and confronted Saul and was like, Saul, you just lost the kingdom. Saul's like, please, like, just go out with me before the people. Like, because he really wanted that appearance of, like, we're still good. Like, he cared so much about the appearance of himself before man, more so than he was, like, troubled at the fact that God just saw what he did and, like, disciplined him so severely. Like, Saul wasn't really phased by that at all. Like, he was more concerned with, man, what are the people going to think about me? But David, on the other hand, you see, you know, even when David has opportunity to take Saul's life into his, un, his, his own hands, he would rather deal with his disgruntled army that's like, why didn't you kill him? You should have killed him. He was right there. Like, God just delivered him into your hands. He's dealing with them throwing spiritual language on sin and, and justifying it. He's like, no, David, do it. And David's like, no, like, I really don't care what you say right now. I'm not raising a finger against God's anointed. Like, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care if you betray me. I don't care if you leave me. Like, he wasn't budging on this issue. Um. And so David, like, was far more concerned with what God thought about him than what people thought about him. He wasn't moved by the fear of man. Um, and then the third uh, aspect here is did they, did they bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Or another way to look at that is that did they just, did their emotional response have any bearing on changing their actions? Um, and I say that because sometimes, like, even, you know, even for myself, as I think about repentance, sometimes I think it's easy for us to think of repentance as just an apology to God. Like, kind of like, all right, God, like, I know I did this wrong, and I'm sorry. And that's for sure a part of it. And we should <laughs> say sorry to the Lord. But there should be some sort of fruit in our lives that demonstrates that we actually are 
truly like sorry. Like the repentance is not just like a like okay, I'm sorry, like I'm just going to keep going. It's like no, you actually turn away from sin to God. Um and and there's fruit that comes with repentance. Um Let's see. John uh, the Baptist, let's say, uh, is a good example of this. When he tells the Pharisees when they come out, he says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Um, and the example that I want to end with is, is actually the example of Zacchaeus. Um, when, when Jesus uh, goes to him. Um, and so I love the story of Zacchaeus in Luke uh, 19. We see um, that that. Zacchaeus, like, he's a tax collector, so we know that he has been extorting his own people for the Romans. And Jesus comes to him. He's like, hey, like, I'm coming into your home. And Zacchaeus's response is that, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Fourfold. Like, that was like a huge response because actually... If you look in the law, what would have been required of Zacchaeus um, is that if he had, you know, Leviticus actually has a prescription for this. Like you're like, hey, like if you if you if you defrauded someone, like if you um, have wronged your neighbor with robbery or in a manner of deposit security, et cetera, the prescription is that you restore it in full and add a fifth to it. So you add 20%. Well, Zacchaeus is doing fourfold. Like he's not doing just the 20% that's required of the law. Like you see that Zacchaeus has such a deep heart change that he's like, I'm going to give you fourfold back. Like that's a lot of money. That is a lot, a lot of money. But that was how deep his repentance was. Um, And, uh, you know, it's, I think that, one of the reasons why the Lord puts guilt offerings or the concept of a guilt offering into the scripture is because it's not enough sometimes when we've just, um, you know, like it's sometimes our sin wrongs the Lord and it's kind of more just between us and the Lord. But I'd say oftentimes our sin wrongs another person too. And God has, like, set it up in such a way where he's like, look, like, if you are saying sorry to me, like, actually, I want you to go to your brother first and make things right. Like, you guys work it out between you two. There should be fruit of repentance. It will maybe be something that's costly to you. Um, but that's what he desires, like, in, in our repentance is that, like, David, you know, for David, his repentance actually looked like I'm not going to touch Saul. I'm not going to kill Nabal. I'm not going to touch Saul. I'm actually going to bless them and not curse them. Like I'm going to do good to them and I'm going to let the Lord deal with it. Um, and likewise, like, you know, Jesus calls us like, you know, when, when you 
are truly repenting, like there should be a fruit to it. And like sometimes that might look like you love people better or you bless them or you offer to them or to the Lord or to both something that's costly um, to to you in that process. Um, yeah, and so I think just kind of as we uh, go into a time of response today, we, you know, all, most of, I would say most of us, like, we spend a lot of time coming regularly before the Lord, like, on a weekly basis in the prayer room, and we have a great privilege or opportunity in that sense to be, like, you know, we could be, like, Saul and, like, not really be bothered by the little sins, or we could be, like, David and be, like, Jesus, like, is there anything small in my heart or in my life that's offended you, like, even a little bit, like, anything that's not pleasing to you, and if so, like, get it out of me, like, help me, um, God, to get this out, um, and so I want us to just kind of be thinking about, like, those, those areas, um, where we saw, like, the difference between Saul and, and David of, you know, are we, do we really, like, hate our sin, like, even when it's small, or do we justify like those little compromises? Um, and then, you know, the fear of God or man and our, 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 our lives, like, are we bearing fruit and repentance? Um, does it look like something like if I recognize there's something I did wrong, like, did I make it right with my brother? Did I make it right with my sister? Did I make it right with the Lord? And did I offer something that was costly to me to restore that breach? Um, so Priscilla, if you can come on back up, we're just going to spend a little bit of time praying.